All right, our sermon text today is from the book of 2 Samuel chapter 9 as we continue in this series. 2 Samuel 9, this is found on page 243. We've been talking about the life of David and we're going to do that again today. But I want to let you know that today is the last day for a while that the uh, lessons about David are going to be positive. So after today, there's going to be several weeks of pretty negative stories about David. Some of them actually quite disturbing. Um, But today we smile. Because today is one of the greatest stories about King David. And a good reminder as we enter into some of the darker moments of his life. A good reminder that God really did use this man, and that this man really was adopted into God's own family. Uh, Let's look now at at chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter together. Uh, A beautiful story about David. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should regard such a dead dog as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, And shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. Why is it hard to let go of old grievances? It's a hard thing to do, and even if you don't have any reason in in your mind, you know it's true that an old grievance is hard to let go of. 
Now, by grievance, I don't mean simply forgiving someone who wrongs you. That, that is hard in and of itself, right, to forgive someone who's wronged you. But a grievance, I, I mean this, not just not forgiving them, but also carrying it on for a long time, for even generations maybe, to all those other people that are even associated with that person who wronged you, so that your vengeance might be fully expressed across the board, Uh, what we might call a blood feud. Have you ever heard about a blood feud? Uh, These were very common in human history, especially in, you know, older days. They are still common in some parts of the world where not only do you get vengeance on the person who wronged you, but you also try to kill their family members and their cousins and everybody related to them. And you carry it on for generations. Hatfields and McCoys, for example. Well, in David's day, this was very common to say the least, especially among the wealthy, the powerful, especially among kings. You would expect that when David got success, when he had rest from his enemies, when he built his beautiful palace, when God made a covenant with him like we saw last week, that now would be the time that David would search far and wide for members of Saul's household so that he could kill them. The blood feud with Saul. After all, Saul, was he nice to David? He was terrible to David. He tried to kill him for years on end. David, he ruined most of the best years of David's life. You would imagine, and most people would have applauded David if he had searched for a descendant to wreak havoc. And yet I want you to notice what happens in this story, something very surprising. David seeks out a son of Saul, you bet, but he seeks out a son of Saul to show kindness. Look at your Bible. There are three times, verse 1, verse 3, and verse 7, that the word kindness is used of what David does to Mephibosheth. Now, the word kindness in English sounds very kind of passe, doesn't it? It's like one step up from niceness. It's the person who's just real nice. That's kind. Uh, But in Hebrew, this word is extraordinarily important. In fact, it's one of the most important words in the whole Bible, and so I'm going to teach it to you this morning. If you're a visitor here, I don't normally do Hebrew in the sermon, but here we go. Chesed. Everybody say chesed. That's a good word to say. It's fun to say. Chesed. That's the word behind kindness. Normally, it is not translated kindness. It's translated stronger than that. Steadfast love in some places. Covenant love in other places. Loyal love. Loving kindness sometimes. Uh, Mercy. Uh, Often in the Old King James Version, it was translated mercy. And basically, it is the word for the very special way that God loves his people which in turn becomes the way that God's people love others, even people who are associated with their enemies. And so if you look at your Bible today, we're going to see three things about chesed. We're going to learn about how God loves us today and also at the same time about how we're called to love other people. First of all, we see the purpose of chesed in verses 1 to 4. Then we're going to see the promise of chesed in verses 5 through 8. And then finally, the provision of chesed. In verses 9 through 13. First of all, let's look at the purpose of Hesed, verses 1 to 4. Notice how this story does not begin with Mephibosheth coming to David's court begging for help. 
You don't read about that happening in verse 1. Instead, what do you get? You get David, secure in his wealth, secure in his success, asking the question, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him chesed? I want to show kindness. I want to show steadfast love to somebody in the house. Notice who starts it. Who who is the one who initiates this whole story? It's not Mephibosheth. It's not Ziba. It's nobody in Saul's family. Instead, it is David himself. The one who is going to love is the one who starts the love by committing to it. In fact, he roots his commitment in something that happened about 20 years before. Notice verse 1. I want to show him Hesed for Jonathan's sake. Remember Jonathan? Jonathan was Saul's son, David's best friend. Back in chapter 20 and 18 of 1 Samuel, they made a covenant together, a covenant of love as friends. And actually, one of the things they promised was that they would show one another Hesed. And, they, and David promised, Saul, uh, promised uh, Jonathan, I won't treat even any of your descendants in any other way except in the Hesed way. I'm going to show them loyal, covenant love. And here, 20 years later, David is searching for an opportunity to show love. This is amazing. This is actually very, very instructive about how we are called as Christians to love people. And it's also very instructive about the way in which God loves us. Hesed love, which is very hard to translate. And that's why there's so many words used to translate it. Is probably best pictured and experienced than defined. And here's a picture. David the king who owes no one anything within the house of Saul. Yet seeks out based on a already decided commitment. To show the love that is undeserved. And there you have it. That is this kind of love. What the Jesus Storybook Bible calls God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's that's good, isn't it? Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. A love rooted not in the conditions that the person being loved has to meet but a love that is rooted in the commitment that the one loving has already made. Now think about it. If you're a parent in the room, you know what this kind of love is like, especially with your children. Before your children were born, you loved them, did you not? In fact, when you were expecting, you made all kinds of plans. You made all kinds of arrangements. You probably didn't even have to sit down to decide, are we going to love this child or not? It just bubbled up, more than likely. It bubbled up. And you committed that day forward, even though you could not see that child yet, even though you didn't actually know them because they weren't here to be known. And you couldn't even express your love yet to them, not at least in any conscious way. And yet, your love already began. It preceded them. Well, David's love for Mephibosheth preceded him even knowing that there was a Mephibosheth. Now, here's Mephibosheth living in Lodabar, which literally in Hebrew means nowheresville. Or no pasture. Nowheresville. Uh, Living in some random guy's house. 
And Mephibosheth himself is named Shame. That's what his name means in Hebrew, shame. So we have Mr. Shame living in Nowheresville who can't walk. And before David even knows he exists, David has committed to loving him without limits and without bounds. Christian believer this morning, this is both how God loves you and how you're called to love others. If you're married today, guess what? Your love for your spouse, yes, it's a feeling sometimes. Yes, the feelings that come with it are very important. But no, it is not merely a feeling. It is a commitment. Quite literally, you make a commitment when you get married to somebody. You're going to love them, right? No matter what happens, actually. Death, do us part. Richer, poorer. Sickness, health. I love you. I will love you. I'm committed to doing that. That's hesed. That's covenant love. That means in those moments where the feelings aren't coming, what are you supposed to do? Love anyway. Show the thing you've already committed. Parents with your kids, aren't there times where you forget that wonderful feeling you had when you first realized you were pregnant? No, right? None of y'all do that. Yes, there are times. Because raising kids is hard. Right? What are you supposed to do? Love them anyway because of the commitment that you have made. Don't we all want to be loved this way? Isn't it even actually how friendships are supposed to be on a a different level than, of course, than marriage or, or parenting? Friendships are supposed to be this way. You're not supposed to just be committed as friends with people that benefit you. Uh, with people that, you know, are giving back always to you and enriching you. I mean, there is a place in life to be a friend of somebody simply because you get to benefit them rather than them benefiting you. In fact, society depends on this. What would become of all the Mephibosheths in the world if people only love those who advantage them? What would become of the poor, of the vulnerable, of the weak, of the disabled, none of whom can pay you back fully for for the love that you show and the kindness that you show. And yet without this kind of love, the world would literally fall apart. And yet scripture says we're called to it because this is the way God has loved us. Before you were ever born, God decided to love you. In fact, let me blow your mind for a minute. In Titus chapter 1, it tells us that before the ages began, God promised eternal life to his people. Now think about that for a second. When is before the ages began? Was it before you were born? Yes. Was it before even Christ entered the world as a baby and died on the cross? Yes. Was it before the world itself existed? Yes. Think about who did God promise if it was only God there? God made a promise within himself that he was going to give eternal life as a gift to sinners like me and you. 
That's where the love of God begins. It begins in God's own self, his promise. God does not love you, O Christian, because of something in you, some condition that you've met. Instead, he loves you because of a prior commitment in himself, a commitment which he will never go back on. It really is a never stopping, never giving up, never breaking, always and forever love that he has shown us in his son, Jesus Christ. And so in our lives, we have, to, we have to think about what are the ways that we are tying strings to our love for one another? Uh, how are we setting conditions, sometimes very arbitrarily, in how we're going to love people, rather than sourcing our love for them out of the love that God has shown us? The Christian community ought to be different in the way that we love. Jesus said it simply, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. They're going to see you loving chesed in a chesed way, and they're going to have to know they've been with Jesus because Jesus is the one who loves in a chesed way. Where, who is it, David says, that I can show the kindness of God, the chesed of God? Bring him to me, and I'll show it because of my prior commitment. That's the first thing. The purpose of Hesed. But I want us to see, secondly, the promise in verses 5 through 8. And here is a dramatic scene. And I want to just take you back through it and maybe help you imagine it a little bit. In verse 5, we are inside David's palace. This is a beautiful house that David has built on top of the mountain there in Jerusalem, the city of David. It is paneled with the cedars of Lebanon. There are gold implements everywhere. David is, a, at this point, a wealthy person. He is a peaceful king at this point because he has defended Israel from all her enemies. And there he is with his royal robes on, seated on the throne. And in comes Mr. Shame. Now, kids, you can answer this question. How did Mr. Shame, how did Mephibosheth enter the room? What's the only way he could have entered the room? Remember, he's crippled in both feet. How did he enter? Well, there were no wheelchairs. Uh, either he had crutches or literally he's being carried. More than likely the second one. Now, I'm going to ask the grown folks now. When's the last time you were carried by someone? Can you think of anything more, what's the word, humiliating maybe, as a grown folk getting toted by another grown folk, right? <laughs> this, this, ain't, this is not good. And here he comes, Mr. Shame from Nowheresville, toted in, carried in by somebody else before the great King David. Immediately, he's laid on the ground and he turns over. Oh, your servant is here. What do you think Mephibosheth is thinking? Here I am in David's house. I mean, I've already heard the stories about how my grandfather treated this David, right? What is he thinking? Today's my dying day. I can't defend myself. David is surely going to kill me. David is going to carry on the blood feud like every other king would do. And in the midst of that, catch the drama of the scene. 
David calls out Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid. Look at verse 7. Do not fear. For I will show you chesed. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat at my table always. Wow. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. I will, I will, and you shall. I will, I will, you shall. I will show you Hesed. I will restore the land that was taken away from your family so that you can have a means to live. And you will sit at my table for the rest of your life, eating as if you were one of the king's own sons. Mr. Shame has become Mr. Honor. Nowheresville has been put in the rearview mirror, and here he is in the palace. This tells us something else about Hesed. God always gives us his riches at his own expense. Just like David did with Mephibosheth. Notice the grammar of it. I will, I will, and only then you shall. Did you see the grammar? I will do this, and then I will do that, and then you shall. God's you shalls only come after his I wills. And this is freedom to the Christian. This is freedom to the believer. Uh, God is not saying, you shall do this, and if you do this, I will. He's saying, I will do this for you. I will bless you. And because I have blessed you with my grace, and I have poured out all my expense to enrich you, then, on the basis of that, you shall come and do as I have commanded. You shall come and be a, a, a seated at my table as my own son, receiving everything that every one of my other sons receives. What a love. The expense of God poured out. In the same way that David's riches were more than enough to meet Mephibosheth's needs, God's riches are more than enough to meet yours too. Think about it. If the ocean has so much water in it, if there's enough water in the ocean to fill the ocean, can it fill a bucket? Couldn't it fill a thimble? This is the love of God. You know, it's like the riches of David compared to the poverty of Mephibosheth. If there was enough in David's house for David, there's enough for Mephibosheth. If there's enough in God's heart for himself, and oh, the Bible tells us he loves his own love. He is satisfied in the love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and has been from eternity. If there's enough there for God, there's enough for you, there's enough for me. He says, I will restore you and then you shall sit at my table. I will love you and you shall be my people. I will love you and you shall be with me in heaven. I will love you and you shall become a person who loves in the same way that I have loved. When love gets costly, and y'all, it will, you can't love anybody without paying a cost, ever. It's the law of love. There will come a time when they can only be blessed if you're unblessed 
or they can only be enriched if you become in some way poor. That's the way God calls you to love. Well, imagine, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of that. If you're afraid of that and getting hurt by loving people, don't be afraid anymore because God has backed you up with an ocean of love. He's taken you from shame to honor, from nowheresville to the very palace, from being an outcast to being the king's son or daughter in Jesus Christ. And so anybody who today is struggling to bear the cost of love should take heart. God has borne the cost of loving you. And he did it gladly. That leads us to our final thing, which is the provision of hesed. Everybody knows that sometimes words and intentions aren't enough. For example, in the, in the biblical book of James, in, in the Bible, in the book of James, it says, if someone is homeless and it's cold outside and they don't have a coat, it doesn't do any good to go out to them and say, brother, be warm. Right? That doesn't warm anybody. In fact, it probably just insults the person. Or if someone's hungry and has no food, it doesn't do any good to go out and say, brother, sister, be well fed. My heart's desire for you is that you be well fed and then give them no food. Well, notice how David doesn't just talk. And, and Hesed is this way. Hesed is not just talk or intentions. Hesed is actions. Verse 9, he does not delay to deliver what he has promised. The king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said, All that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given already to your master's grandson. Now you and your sons have a job now. Your job is going to be to till the land for him because he can't, because he's lame. Uh, and so you're going to do it for him. And you're going to bring in all the produce so that he and you and everybody has plenty to eat. But as for him, he will always sit at my table to eat. He will never have to eat with y'all. He's going to eat with me because he's my honored guest forever. It's going to start today and it's going to go into tomorrow and it's going to go into next day. Always. Every day of Mephibosheth's life, he will not only hear from God, be warm and well-fed, he will actually receive from God the warmth and the food that only God can give. And this is the way God has treated us in Christ. The love of God for us is not theoretical only. It ain't just words. Praise God for the words, but it ain't just words. It's actions. It's deeds. God actually became a real man. In a real place, at a real time, he was so high. He had you know, such and such hair color, such and such eye color, such and such a voice. He actually bled real blood when he died on the cross. He was actually dead in a real tomb. And he actually rose in his body from the dead. And he actually now sits on the throne of the universe so that he can dispense his treasures to you. That means when you come to the Bible, when you come to God, when you come to prayer, it's not just words. God is actually there to give you what your soul needs. So that you can every day remember, I am loved by God. I am a son or daughter of the Most High King. 
Think about, now if we, you know, just think about the psychological effect of what Mephibosheth got to live through for the rest of his life. As every day he was carried in to sit at the table alongside people like Absalom, strapping, ripped Absalom (laughs) with the long hair like, you know, Fabio, which we'll read about several weeks from now. He had very long hair. Handsome man, adored by everybody. And here's crippled Mephibosheth, seated right next to him, eating the same steak, receiving the same kiss, the same robes. Wow. Drinking from the same cups. What would it have done to that man's soul? How long would it have taken the shame of his name to erase from his heart? It might have taken a little while, but it would have happened. And, oh, Christian, it might take a while for you, but if you draw every day deeply from the wells that God has given you of his love and his word and in prayer, if you draw from those wells, I guarantee you the shame will wash away. I guarantee you the fear will wash away. The reluctance to love other people will wash away because God is not just in the business of wishing us warm and well-fed. He's in the business of making us warm and well-fed. No realer is this than what we're going to see and do next week when we have communion. I mean, there we're literally going to be invited to the king's table. Right? Can you believe it? And we know that, that that bread and that cup are but symbols and signs of something even deeper that God does for us. But they're given as signs for this purpose so that you would know just as surely as I eat this bread, he nourishes my soul. It's no less real than this bread in my mouth. It's no less real than this cup that I'm drinking, that Jesus dwells within me, that his spirit has been given me, and that all the fruit of the Holy Spirit is mine in Christ. That everlasting life is mine by title and right because I am like one of the king's sons. Listen, not every Christian has full assurance, but every Christian can have full assurance and should have full assurance. Because God has shown us the most amazing chesed love that you'll ever read about. It's hard to describe, and so God gives us stories like this one that illustrate how God loved us before we were ever even here, before anything was here. He committed to love us. God promises to pay the bill and to fully underwrite all the expenses of loving us. And God actually, every day, by His Spirit, delivers to us all the warmth, all the reality of being adopted into his family and loved by him. This morning, if you've ever been disappointed by someone because all they delivered to you were empty words and good intentions, I'm here to tell you, your God is not like that. Do not fail to come to him. Do not fail to go to him every day. 
by prayer, put your bucket down into that well and draw it up and drink it deep and know the kindness of God has been given to you always. Amen.